are listening to a message from Westside Christian Church, located in the heart of Wichita, Kansas. We hope this teaching helps you to join Jesus and bring life. We would love to hear your story. Email us at hello at westsidechristian.org to share what God is doing in your life. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, my name is Jeff Isaacs, and it's, a, it's an honor to be here with you. And some of you may look at me and, and see this, the guy from Riverlawn, and, and have mixed feelings on that. What if I stepped up here? Would that help? I'll just step down here a little bit. I normally walk side to side, but now I'll stay between these two speakers, just so you know where I'm at. Uh, and, and I get that. I, I can't imagine what some of you who have invested so many years and so much time and so much of your treasure into this church and what she's done over the years. I can't imagine what, what you're going through and what you're feeling and, and know that my prayers are for you. And I was just talking with Ann out there and she was talking about not being able to make the transition over. And, and it's like, man, as long as you're in a Bible-believing, Christ-preaching church, that is what is important. And we want to encourage that. And I know our hearts have gone out for your leadership and for you over uh, these past months and even years for uh, just what's come. And you guys, today we're talking about legacy. And, and it's, a, it's a great song that Kyle led us into there with uh, thinking about, my heart is yours, I surrender all. And, and a lot of times we don't like that. We don't like that part of Christianity, I surrender all. Because if you're like me, there's a lot of selfish desires, there's a lot of me in my life that I need to die to. And that's the whole plot of Christianity, that we would die to ourselves and live for Christ. But today we're going to be talking about legacy and, and living a godly legacy like you guys have here at Westside. Uh, I, I was telling the fellowship class a little earlier that I was the youth pastor over at uh, uh, Countryside Christian Church, which is a, uh, a plant of Westside. So I, I got to experience your legacy there. But really, uh, my, my home church is Riverlawn Christian Church that you planted 60 years ago. We just celebrated that back in, in December, our 60th anniversary. Uh, so your daughter is 60 years old, and I know there's others that have been around and and I told some of our senior adults that were here or back in December, I told them that uh, they're having a baby. And uh, see, excitement right there. Uh, they're, they're having a baby. We, we're giving you a granddaughter. And uh, we're, we're planting a church here in October. And, and those wheels are rolling on that. So it's exciting. But Riverlands were, uh, I, as mentioned before, found the Lord. And, and that's another legacy uh, church for you guys. So what's your legacy? What will people say about you when you pass from this life? Or what do people say about you right now, even before you pass from this life? There's certain things that people say, and, and hopefully they will say about us that we were Christ followers. Hopefully they'll say that we had a godly legacy. And I don't know where each of you are in your salvation journey. If you're saved, then I would assume most people in here are saved, but there might be some that aren't. And, and so today we're going to talk about an eternal legacy as well. Think about these Legacies. See if you can, this is participation. You guys call back out after I say this. See if you can get these. Uh, legacies of people who have gone on before. The king of pop. All right, a few of you like uh, Michael. Okay, yeah, nobody's wearing one glove, so we're good. Okay. What about the king of rock? Elvis, there we go. Old blue eyes. Yeah, if you younger people, you need to know some good music. You listen to some Frank Sinatra. You know what I'm saying? All right, so... Sorry, that was a little Elvis and Frank Sinatra combined. Sorry for that impersonation. I don't know where it came from. Uh, what about Ike? Eisenhower. You need to know that if you're around here. The Gipper. Reagan. Yeah, we, go, we can think about Reagan. The, the King of NASCAR. Richard Petty is correct. Dale Earnhardt, he's right there, the intimidator. But uh, uh, you got Richard Petty there. And, and then Broadway Joe. 
Joe Namath. And so today, what would be said about you or me in our legacy? Would people be able to say, Christ follower, someone who loves God, someone who loves people, someone who serves others? What would they say? And if you don't like your legacy that they say now, today's the day to change it for all of us. How can we build a godly legacy? And, and when we speak about godly legacy, we're going to be in Genesis. If you want to open your Bibles to that, we're going to be in Genesis here in just a few minutes. And I'm going to talk all over Genesis, starting with chapter 25 and even going into chapter 50 with a reference. We're going to talk about two guys, their brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, but when we think about godly legacy, the godly legacy of Jacob, uh, when we go to New Testament, Christ comes. When we think about godly legacy, we've got to make sure that we understand that that translates into Christ-centered legacy. That people would see Christ in us the way we live our lives. But the story of Jacob and Esau, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 25. That's the first book in your Bible if you just want to open there on your mobile devices. Genesis 25, 21 through 28. And I was told that I have an hour to preach, so I'm excited about that. Yeah? No? Yeah? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to preaching 35 minutes for three uh, sermons on a Sunday morning. So that's 105 minutes that you guys have to sit through because I've got I to do my minutes. All right, so we go Genesis chapter 25. There's uh, this, this birth that's going to take place. And, and there's Abraham, Isaac, and then Isaac is going to have... Abraham's the one that God called and said, You're gonna, I'm going to start a people through you. Isaac's his one true-born son with his wife that, that we see. Uh, follows through this, this seed that goes to Jesus. And then we come to this point in chapter 25, verses 21 through 28, with Jake, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. In this story, these two brothers are born. They're born at the same time. Uh, they have the same opportunity, same parents, same house. They're living there with mom and dad. And then we're going to see there's something that takes place where they go on different paths. And in this story, if you know much of it, this is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. I love reading this story in Genesis as we see the beginnings. But in this story, what happens is Jacob tricks Esau, right? Except Esau, he lives for instant gratification, and he's out hunting. He doesn't bring anything in. He comes back, and he's, you know, after you've been out and you're sweating and you've been out all day trying to do something, you come back, you're just pooped, and you're ready to eat and relax and turn on the TV, right? And watch the shockers. Or the Jayhawks. I don't think they had them back then, but uh, we have them now. And, and so he's ready for that. And, and he comes in, he has nothing. So he says to Jacob, man, give me something to eat. That stew you're making, that's, that smells wonderful. I want some of that. And Jacob says, what will you give me for it? I'm like, I don't know. And then Jacob says, well, why don't you give me your birthright? Because Esau had the, the first son birthright, which is two-thirds of the inheritance. And the, and the second son would get one-third. And that's how it, it was divided up back then. He goes, give me your birthright. Because not only does he get more financial gain, but also as the birthright, you get to be the spiritual leader once the father, in, in this case, Isaac, passes away. And, and so he gets this birthright. And, 
they're, they're going, and, and he goes, fine, you can have it. I just want something to eat. And so he just says, I'm all about what's in it for me now. He doesn't think about the future. He doesn't think about what's best. And in this family, you see him, you see Jacob then lying to his father, acting like he's his brother and getting the blessing when the blessing was supposed to go to Esau. You see all this stuff take place. You see fighting. You see threats of death. One brother tells the other, you know, I'm going to kill you. The mom says, I want to protect you. Get out of here. Uh, it's like a normal Thanksgiving dinner at our place, right? That's, that's family drama. And so it gets pretty nasty. Uh, to the point of death, and, and there's trickery and all this stuff going on, and then all of a sudden we're going to pick up again in chapter 26, and we're going to see something that happens that shows you a little bit more about Esau and why he went the path he did. Chapter 26, verses 34 and 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And you see those two verses, and a lot of times we might read through them. If we're just doing our, our Bible reading plan, we might just read right through those. But these verses say a lot. They say a lot about what Esau was about. Esau was about himself. He saw some ladies real close to where they were, and he wanted them. Even though they followed foreign gods, they worshipped foreign gods, they worshipped idols, they did all this stuff. And, and they make life bitter for his parents. I don't want you to raise your hand, especially if your, uh, your son-in-law or daughter-in-law is here, but uh, have you ever had that experience where you have someone come into your family that you're just like, man, they make life more difficult. I, there's a friend of mine that uh, uh, he was telling me the story where uh, they don't even have anything to do with his side of the family because of his wife. And, and that's really what's going on here. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. Because as parents, you pray for your kids. You pray for if they're going to be married or, or they're going to be single. Either way, you, you just pray if they're going to be married. You pray for their spouse and you pray, uh, pray that God would bring them someone that's after his heart. Well, Esau allowed himself to be distracted by stew, by, by just getting some instant gratification food, uh, by, by going out for ladies right next door with, with foreign gods. He got distracted and he went off on a path that was all about him. Didn't follow Jacob's God. See, Jacob learned about God from Isaac just as Esau had. And Jacob, circumstances lent to Jacob going away too, like his brother was going to kill him. But Jacob's mom said, I don't want you to marry any of these Canaanite women. I don't want you to marry anybody outside of the faith that we have. And so Jacob, he takes this trip. And it's not just like a trip down the street. He goes for days. He goes for days to go back to where there are people that, that follow the same God, worship the same God, know of the God at least. And he takes them from his clan. He ends up with two wives there. And he works 14 years for these wives. There's another story uh, you can look into. But he, in this, this time of going, he, he meets God. And he wrestles with God. And he wants to be blessed by God. And then he, he sees in chapter 28, uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit more. Chapter 28, verses 12 through 17. And we can see Jacob here listening to God. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now that's speaking of Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, you always need to read the Old Testament with your Jesus glasses on. That's seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And here it's talking about Jesus. He's going to bless all nations. 
Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. In the midst of this journey, Jacob sees God's messengers. In the midst of this journey, Jacob hears from the Lord. In the midst of this journey, he says, I I am committed to what God wants me to do. A different path than Esau took. Esau was all about himself. Jacob, although you can, you can argue Jacob was very selfish and there were some silly boneheaded things he did, but I don't think there's a person in here today, starting with me, that hasn't done silly boneheaded mistakes, right? But in the midst of it, he still heard from God. And he listened. And, and he did what God wanted him to do. And the beautiful thing about it is even, I think Jacob's one of those great stories for us that we see where God can use screwballs, right? If you're a screwball, raise your hand. All right, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, let me tell you, you are a screwball. You should have raised your hand. But God still uses screwballs. He he uses us because God is glorified when he does work through us, the imperfect. So today we're talking about a godly legacy, and, and a godly legacy leaves God in charge. A godly legacy leaves God in charge. Now this is, you say, well, of course, Jeff, but, but it's important for us to understand because we see God who is perfect and righteous and holy and everything good. Now we don't always understand everything about God and that's okay because he's higher than us. He's bigger than us. He is God. God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, why he wants. Why? Because he's God. And so he's, he, he's perfect and righteous and he's given us the way to live. And I guarantee that if you live according to what the word says, your life will be more blessed. You will have less regret. You'll have less remorse. You'll have less guilt. You'll have less uh, consequences of your actions because God tells us how to live our lives. But a godly legacy leaves God in charge. And Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob listened to God. He didn't always do the godly thing, but he strived to be who God wanted him to be. Now Esau, on the other hand, Esau said, what's in it for me? What about me? Yo, uh, Esau's three favorite people were me, myself, and I. Right? And and so he had that trinity of self instead of father, son, spirit. And godly legacy leaves uh, God in charge. I I, want to speak to your leadership right now. And I know there, there have been tears and they've just had such a hard time as they've, they've looked at things over, over the past year and, and looked at different things that have gone on over the years. And, and they've really struggled uh, to come to the conclusion that they have. And, and I, don't, I, I wasn't part of that. I, I mean, that's, that's their God led them in a certain way. But it's interesting to see how God read, led Riverlawn in, in our path to join up with your leadership. It wasn't easy. I was telling the fellowship class, we had some of our hardest elders meetings about this, and we came back with a possible uh, proposition that your, your leadership said no, which made sense because we weren't, we were, I won't go into too many details, we work in a unified decision-making process in our eldership, and we were on different pages, but one thing we said we wanted to do is help. And so they said, they said no, so we went and we, God gave us this new vision of, of reaching out to have a, a legacy like you have had in the, in the community, in the Wichita and surrounding areas, and we've got these new ministries that we're going to be starting, and, and we're excited about that, regardless of what Westside did. And so when I came back and I said uh, to TJ and to Kyle and to your leaders, I said, here's where Riverlawn's going. If this works for you guys, great. And God brought this unity of, of decision by us letting God be in charge of our leadership 
and of course over here. And I know there's many that struggle with that. And I get that. Folks, I want to tell you, there's lots of times I don't like the decisions that I know God has made for different things in my life, in my family, in our church. But being a follower of Christ says it's about you and not me. And you, you submit to the leadership and where God has led them, as long as it's not unbiblical. Which nothing that your leaders have said or, or, or done through this whole thing, in, in my mind, everything I know of, has been unbiblical. So godly legacy leaves God in charge. You know, it's interesting, a lot of times we, we try to think of our legacy, what are we going to leave behind, and we start thinking of what's in it for me, what are, what are people going to say about me, rather than saying, I hope people don't see me, but see Christ in me. Right? I, I hope people know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus by the way I live my life. Are you in charge of your life, or is God? Because there's two different agendas. And it's beautiful when they can line up, when you surrender to Him, and, and your agenda is all about Him. And it can take place. But a godly legacy requires intentionality. It's interesting. Uh, we must be intentional because we don't just drift towards God. Uh, by nature, we're not just godly. And, and that's why we, we see in, in Scripture where Paul says there's this wrestling match. That's why we see in Scripture where people go this side, then this side, and they go back and forth. That's why we see in Scripture where, where, where Paul tells us there's an enemy that wants to kill you and destroy you. Jesus himself said that about Satan in, in chapter uh, 10 of John. He says the enemy still kill and destroy. Uh, Paul tells us we've got to put on armor because there's this battle going on. But to be a, a godly person, to be a Christ-centered person with a Christ-centered legacy, we have to be intentional. Jacob passed the faith down. Now, I'm not saying Jacob got it right. You can read all that. I, I won't say that again. But I'm not lifting Jacob up and saying he is the example because Christ is the example. But what we see in Jacob is he did pass stuff on. He was intentional. Uh, you know, as, as far as what we see from Isaac being passed on to Jacob, going and getting godly wives, uh, uh, Esau chose convenience. It wasn't very intentional. And, you know, a lot of times people choose different things out of convenience, even marriage. Uh, I, I will not do a wedding of a Christian and a non-Christian. I won't. And I've had people get mad at me. I've had people leave the church. I've had people um, say, well, we're going to go somewhere else. I'm like, that's fine. I can't do that because Scripture says believers are to marry believers. Now, if you're already in that situation, it's a different deal, right? But, but believers are marrying believers, non-believers. I will do a non-believer marrying a non-believer before I'll do a believer marrying a non-believer because I won't do this. But if I'm able to marry non-believers, I can, through counseling, give them the gospel and let them hear what marriage is truly about. But when you, when you, when you intermarry, there's problems, you know, there's, there's problems that, I, folks, I know some of you have amazing marriages here, and I'm not going to uh, talk about one over the other, but there's some amazing marriages, great faithfulness in this room. But I guarantee you, in your marriage, sometime you've had trouble. And you guys have been alike. You've been aligned, for the most part, if you're here together. Uh, you know, you, you've been aligned in what's, what's important to you. When we, get, when we get misaligned, when we go what's convenient, well, I think, I think she's pretty, I think he's hot, all of a sudden we're just going to get married, and that's, you know, that's okay. Instead of making it a Christ-centered decision. What am I doing to be intentional about decisions I make? Are you intentionally making decisions that show the world Christ? Or are you intentionally making decisions that show the world you? As I said, I think those paths can, can come together if we put him first. A godly legacy never stops. Jacob was leading to the end. If we had fast forward, I'm not going to read this, but you can read it later. We fast forward to chapter 49 and 50 of Genesis. 
Jacob's getting ready to die and he's passing on instructions to his sons and he's telling them what he wants them to do with his body and he's telling them to stay faithful. Even on his deathbed, he's saying, here's what you do. While we're still breathing, we should still be ministering unto the Lord as much as you can. Sometimes we get in this status where we say, well, I've done enough. It's time for someone else to step up. I agree it's time for others to step up. But if you're breathing and you're walking and you're able, we need to continue to serve. A godly legacy never stops. We are not done on this side of heaven. Now, some things may change and there may be some health issues that cause us to not be able to do the same things, but we're still able to do something, even if it's giving an encouraging phone call or a letter or something like that. We're all called to use our gifts and talents for him until we meet the king. I'm not talking about Michael Jackson or Elvis. I'm talking about the king of kings. Right? I, I mean, that's, that's, where we're, that's what we're looking for. That's where we're going. So a godly legacy never stops. We have this gentleman in our, in our church, and he's tried different uh, ministries. He's 80-something, uh, and, and uh, he's, a, he's a neat, neat guy. He's been through cancer, battled cancer, he, just all kinds of different things. And he wanted to serve, so he was trying different areas to serve, and he went into our kids' ministry. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, just... Uh, and ladies, uh, kudos to you. You guys do much better at uh, serving... Uh, uh, serving kids than, than guys do. No offense, there may be some exceptions here. But this 80-some-year-old man, he was looking and all of a sudden, he's in our nursery. He's in our nursery. And he just holds babies the whole time. He doesn't change their diapers. No, don't, don't go, go crazy like that. But he holds babies. They sit on his lap. And the babies love him. Our nursery director told me one time, she goes, there's this baby that comes in always screaming and, and carrying on and all that, uh, a charismatic baby, and uh, comes in and all we have to do is put him with Bill and the baby quiets down. Uh, you know, you, you keep serving. There, there's a mission that we support in India called, used to be called Medical Missions of India. Now uh, they're changing the name for different things, but Emerus and Usha Reese. And our church has supported them uh, since I don't know when. Uh, and and Emerus and Usha, they're, they're, his parents were, were missionaries in India, and they work with uh, the lepers and work with HIV. They work with uh, TB patients. They work with all these, but they're also doing church planting. Emerus is 71 years old. He's been on the mission field forever. And he told us this past November, I think he was back, and he told us that they're starting a new ministry. It's like, okay, man, you're still going, you're still going. You know what ministry they're starting? A young adult youth ministry. I mean, 71 years old, and, and a lot of times people say, okay, that's where I'm going to hang up my, that's where I'm going to hang up my ministry shoes, that's where I'm going to get comfortable, that's where I'm going to do that. And they're starting to work with young professionals, college students and younger, to try to change the trend in India to be Christ-centered. I love that. A godly legacy never stops. We live for eternity, not for now. Too often we, we just think about the now. We've got to have those eternity spectacles on that we say, okay, we're living for eternity. We live to pass on Christ, not to promote self. That's what God's called us to. I hope we're all there. We, we, we live to set examples for God's glory, not our own. And that's a wrestling match. So what do we do with it? Maybe you're like that college student who was uh, walking around. He was at a church and he was really mad at God. And he just starts uh, giving God the what for. Maybe you've done that before. And you're like, God, I don't understand why this happens. I don't understand our world is this way. There's so much hurt. There's so much waste. There's so much of, of, of the bad stuff in the world. So much evil. God, I just, man, I can't believe this. He sits down. He looks at the cross. And he says, 
And God, I, I wish you would have made a better world because the world is, is a mess right now and I could have made a better world than this one that you've created. Speaking of where it was in the time. He then heard a voice. He says, and that is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to make the world better. Folks, God made a perfect world and we screwed it up. And God says, I want to use you to be my voice. I want you to be my ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, be ambassadors for Christ. We need, to, we need to understand that that's what God's called us to. And if it's one situation here, one family here, one person here, we are to make the world a better place for His glory. So how do we allow for God to use us to make the world better? Well, we need to live out a godly legacy, Right? You can't just hope you have a godly legacy. You can't just hope because you went to church, people are going to say you're godly. Folks, I, I want to tell you that, that going to church and sitting in a pew uh, does not make you godly, does not make you Christ-like. Any more than me going into the grocery store and sitting down there makes me a banana. It doesn't. But when you partner that with a faith that changes everything you do, when you partner that with works where you're showing the world, when you partner that with sharing your faith with others, then they can tell you're Christ-centered. I tell you, I know there's lots of people who have gone to church for a long time that are more about themselves than Christ. I have some in my church. I'll talk about them because they can't hear me. I, I don't know if there's any here. Statistically, I would say there are. But I don't know. We have to live out a godly legacy, be intentional. You know what uh, Paul said in Galatians 2? Maybe you've seen this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. Uh, I, I've died to myself. And the life I now live is life in Christ, in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's about him, not me. And so we've got we to be living out this godly legacy. Would you say this is one of your life verses? James goes and says this in James chapter 1, verse, verse uh, 22. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't just hear it, do it, live it. Sometimes we, we come and we get spiritually fat by coming to church and doing our church things and doing our church things without going and sharing. Preaching is not about information. Preaching is about transformation. That when you receive the information, you would go and you would be changed by what the Holy Spirit does in your, in your life, not from what me or TJ or Kyle or anybody else says from this stage, but that the Holy Spirit would move you to be changed and to go share that with others. That's what we're called to. Now, it's coming together. Good? Absolutely. It's biblical. It's what we're doing. We're coming together. And this is, this is kind of like that, uh, that, that boost for us. That coming to church is that energy recharge where we're ready to go out and, and take this week by storm. And we're ready to storm the gates of hell with water guns, right? We're ready to do that because we know our God is bigger and better. We need to live out a godly legacy. We need to count every decision, every moment. The way you treat your spouse. Would your kids say that you have a godly legacy, a Christ-centered legacy by the way you speak to your spouse? By the way you speak to your kids? By the way you speak to your parents? By the way you treat your teachers, your co-workers, your boss, your neighbors? Can people see Christ in the way that we live? There was a pompous, self-righteous Sunday school teacher trying to prove good Christians don't keep faith a secret. They share it. And this pompous, self-righteous Sunday school 
teacher had his head high, chest puffed out, and he said, now class, why do you think people call me a Christian? And one little boy shyly raised his hand and he said, probably because they don't know you. (laughs) May that never be said of me, and may that never be said of you. May we understand that uh, we are to pass on, not only live a godly legacy, we're to pass on a godly legacy. It went from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, went on down, and we have Judah, and we continue down to Jesus. It's godly legacy. doesn't mean we make perfect choices all the time. We mess up. But he's called us to pass this on. I mentioned this to the fellowship class a little while ago. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5-7. through Paul writes, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. In that picture, in that legacy picture, you guys are Lois. Westside Christian Church is Lois. You're the grandmother that is, that is passed on has passed on Jesus to Eunice, the daughter. That's RCC, that's Pathway, that's, that's Countryside, that's all those that you've been, uh, and, and many more that you've been part of passing that on. And then what we're doing with District Church and what other churches have done, uh, that is our Timothy. That is your Timothy as you send them out. That's a godly legacy. Proverbs 22 tells us, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We want to pass on that godly legacy. Our kids must see it lived out, not just us coming to church. Your grandkids need to see it lived out, not just you coming to church. The godly legacy is not popular. I don't know if you watch the news today, but uh, standing up saying you're a Christian is not going to get you an award. It's probably going to get you persecution. But it's worth it if we do what God calls us to. Esau worshipped other gods. That was the popular thing to do. Jacob worshipped the one true God. That was the least popular thing to do. There was, a, there was a study that went on, and it went on back in the early 1900s. This guy did this study on the legacy of Christian parenting. And maybe you've heard this before. Uh, ultimately, we know that godliness in your children is the Holy Spirit's work. It's not our work. It's, it's God's work to change people. It's God's work to move in their lives. But setting an example is, is huge. Jonathan Edwards was from the 1700s. He was a Puritan preacher. Him and his wife, Sarah, left a great godly legacy for his 11 children. And in the beginning of the 20th century, American educator and pastor A.E. Winship decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings are astounding, especially when compared to a man known as Max Jukes. Jukes's legacy came to the forefront when the family tree of 42 different men in the New York prison system traced back to him. Jonathan Edwards' godly legacy includes, here we go, Jonathan Edwards, one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Not too shabby. Max Jukes' descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers with over 2,300 years lived in poor houses, 400 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living. It was estimated, and it was estimated, this is, remember, think back to the 1900s, it was estimated that Max Jukes' descendants cost the state more than $1.2 million. It's a powerful example showing how 
uh, past uh, parents' leadership can have a profound effect on their children and how we show others how to live a Christ-centered legacy. You don't have to be a parent to pass on a godly legacy. You just have to be someone that loves Jesus, that they may see Him in you. You were gifted by God to be used to change the world, and I pray that you and I would both do that. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, You have never truly found Jesus if you do not tell others about Him. Let that sink in. You have never truly found Jesus if you don't tell others about Him. Our lives are stories with chapters. And folks, the last chapter is the best chapter. The last chapter is eternity. And sometimes those chapters are hard. Sometimes those chapters are difficult. Sometimes we feel like we're almost walking through hell, although there's no comparison. Sometimes we're on the mountaintop and our chapters are great and it's wonderful, but your story is is a book of chapters. And the last chapter is joyfully ever after with God in heaven. And we need to be looking for that. Some of you, 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 and all of you actually, Westside has a story. It's not the Jets and the Sharks. It's the Dons and the Bettys and the Bobs. There's a lot of those around here, I found out. And your story goes on and on and on. The chapter you're in right now is a tough chapter. The chapter you're in doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. But remember that this is not the end of what Westside has done. The story continues on into eternity, and as long as you're breathing, you're carrying that story with you, and you're sharing that with others. Don't be tricked by the deceiver to think that this means West Side's done. It doesn't. You guys still have a ton to offer the kingdom. You still have a ton to offer those who are lost, those who need Jesus. And your reward will come one day. The Bible promises that. So pass on that godly legacy. Stay faithful. And and rely on God in this hard story, this hard chapter of the story in your lives and in your church's lives. Think eternal legacy, not temporary. Think eternal legacy, not temporary. Paul tells us this in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's the chapter we're going to. Uh, anybody in here, do you, do you read the last chapter of a book before you read it? Anybody do that? Okay, there's no sick and twisted people in here. Okay. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Judy. I didn't see your hand. Okay. I'm sorry. I take that last comment back. Scratch that. Yeah, a lot of times we, I mean, it's good. Sometimes you want to see if the book's worth reading to see what happens at the end, right? Folks, I've read the end. It works out really good. It's a good thing. We need to be faithful to the end. We need to keep pressing on. Live for eternity. Look forward to the reward of legacy. You know, uh, in, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, the great faith chapter, the author of Hebrews uh, says this about those that have died for their faith. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. It says they knew, they knew good stuff was coming, although they didn't get to experience it. They were sawed in two. They were left for dead. They were stoned. They were persecuted. He says, but they knew the last chapter. Folks, you and I, we know the last chapter. It's not a surprise. We need to live like that. Live for eternity. We need to live for eternity. The world's not our home. But when grief and sorrow and painful things like what you're going through here right now, 
at Westside, when those things come, we'll really be able to see in all of our lives where we're grounded. Where we're grounded. Is it about us? Or is it about His glory? It's tough. There's tough things that come. I get that. You know, uh, families hold everything together until a parent dies and everything goes astray. And and that's just a terrible thing where you see. And I see it all the time in ministry. Where everybody, why why their parent's sick and they're they're struggling, they're doing this and they're doing all this, uh, getting along together, and then all of a sudden the parent dies and they're just like this. That's not how the family of God is to be. We're to keep going. We'll go to the end like Jacob, like Paul, like Bill Wadsack, like Emrys and Usha, like Westside. Continue to go to the end. Are we making sure to pass on and look for eternal things and godly things? Are you willing to be persecuted or made fun of for standing up for Jesus? And the last thing I'll say is never give up on a godly legacy. Never give up on a godly legacy. In Romans, Paul says this. In Romans 7, he says, what I want to do, I don't want to do, but I don't want to do, I keep doing. You guys ever feel like that's a life verse? (laughs) I know I have. Paul says, you know, there's, there's things that I want to do and I'm just not getting to them. The things I don't want to do, I do. But he never gave up. He never gave up. He kept pressing. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Philippians 3 tells us about that. We see this never giving up. I press on toward the goal to win the prize, which is heavenward in Christ Jesus. Never give up. Keep going. Never give up on a godly legacy. You will not have a perfect legacy, nor will you have a perfect life. The decisions and choices you make, some of you have made some terrible decisions. I've made some terrible decisions. But if we turn to Him, we repent, we confess, we strive to live for Him, uh, then Christ makes Him clean. Christ makes us in a right relationship with Him. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's one of my life verses. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Because the old Jeff Isaacs was terrible. I don't want to tell you all that. But the new one in Christ is different. Nobody is perfect. We stand before God in righteousness. And the only way that we're able to stand before God in righteousness, the only way we're able to stand before Him and be part of His family is through the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. Not by our own doing. Folks, I want to tell you, the Bible says that all of your works uh, here on earth, Isaiah tells us, they're like dirty rags compared to perfection and righteousness in Christ. Now, we continue to work, we continue to serve, but those don't get us there. Jesus' perfection gets us there. His righteousness gets us there. We can never do enough to earn salvation. It is a gift from God. through the blood of Jesus we need it sometimes it's easy to give up sometimes you say man if I can't if I can't get past this then uh, you know what God's never going to accept me God's never going to take me as I am folks I want to I want to tell you God wants to take you right where you're at right now he just wants you to continue to strive to be like his son Jesus continue to make changes doesn't matter if you're eight or 88 We're supposed to change and and follow after Him with all that we are. Never give up on a godly legacy. God can redeem bad decisions. Jennifer and I both had divorce in our families. Both of our parents got divorced when we were young. And and, uh, I mean, some of you probably come from divorced families. Some of you may be divorced. And and, and I'm just going to speak to what you know. Divorce is ugly. It's like living with a death for the rest of your life. And Jennifer and I decided that we were going to stay together no matter what. Now, I know a lot of people do that when you're in that, that little honeymoon stage. Oh, we'll never be apart. We'll never be apart. Then you live together. It's like, whoa, where was this in the dating? 
But we know that we have committed to honor Christ in our marriage. And, and folks, I want to tell you, if you ever come over to uh, Riverlawn months down the road or whatever you, you decide to do, you will hear a lot more of my story of where my wife could have left me. She could have left me. By the grace of God, she stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I, 21 years with me is probably like 147 years with a normal person. And so she's been faithful. God's able to redeem. And we're not going to pass on a divorce legacy to our kids, show them what God intends. I know many of you in here, you, you've shown that. Thank you. And many of you here, you've been hurt by what's happened to you by others. And I, I'm sorry for that. And there's, there's definitely healing that, that has to come and will come. And through Christ, you can get past anything. doesn't mean you forget it, but it means you don't let it hold you down. Because the enemy wants to do that. God can redeem our bad decisions. God's still in the redeeming business. I don't know if you, uh, if you know that. It didn't stop in the 30s of A.D. It didn't stop. Uh, it continued. And it continues today. And it continues until Jesus comes back. God wants to redeem whatever mess you're in. Maybe you're in a mess of unforgiveness. Maybe you're in a mess of bitterness. Maybe you're in a, in a mess of looking at pornography. Maybe you're in a mess of gossip. Maybe you're in a mess of, uh, of, of speaking poorly to your, your kids or to your spouse or to your parents. Maybe you're in, you're in a mess of being greedy. Maybe you're in a mess of, of selfishness or pride. All these things. And, and God wants to redeem that from you. Say, I want to take that from you. Give it to me. That's why Jesus went to the cross and you need to do that today. God wants to redeem the mess you're in and let Christ set you free. Christ didn't come so that we had a place to meet on Sunday mornings. Christ came to set us free from the chains that bind us and from the penalty of our sin, which is hell, which is a real place that we all deserve to go. I don't know if any of you think you deserve to go to heaven, but let me give you a newsflash. You don't. I don't. We don't deserve heaven, folks. We deserve hell. And yet we have a God that's loved us enough to send his only son to redeem us, to free us from hell to free us from the the chains that keep us enslaved to sin let him redeem you are you willing to give him control of your life and ultimately your legacy may it be said of you and may it be said of me that we followed jesus and loved him with all that we have let's pray god we come today and lord we know that uh, there's a lot of heartache that goes on in life and we know the enemy throws a lot of things in in our in our past, in our stories that uh, are hurtful. Lord, but I pray that we wouldn't allow those to drag us down. We wouldn't allow past mistakes to define us. We would allow the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb to define us. Lord, I pray that for Westside, this story as it continues on, maybe not necessarily in this building, Lord, but it continues on through your people that are faithful, Lord. Help them to know uh, that the, the last chapter hasn't happened yet. It happens in eternity and it's coming and it's a glorious thing. But until we get there, we still have a mission here from you that we would be faithful, that we would pass on a godly legacy. Lord, that people would see Christ in us and that people would tell others about Jesus. Lord, in our own lives and through the way we live our lives. Lord, if there's anybody here today that is struggling, would today be the day they're set free? If anybody in here today that is holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness, would today be the day that they do what you said? Because you said if you forgive men, then you're going to be forgiven in heaven. But if you don't, you won't. One of the toughest things in the Bible, Lord. But I pray we would be a people of forgiveness. We'd be a people of joy. We'd be a people of, uh, of being free from the chains that so easily entangle us. Help us to be faithful, Lord. I thank you. A special prayer of thanks for Westside and for what she's done and continues to do. 
Father, would you bless her and each and every one that has made her what she is, that she has done what you've called her to do and to spread out and to plant churches and to make more disciples. Father, I thank you for the leadership here and leadership at Riverlawn as we, uh, we talk about what that looks like together. Would you be glorified and honored in that? God, we pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus and all God's people said, Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us at westsidechristian.org.